This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. Good morning. It's good to be with you all. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus Christ, you took upon yourself a cross. You are king who reigns from the cross, and you ask us to follow you. And Lord Jesus, we cannot do this in our own human strength. So we pray this morning once again that your Holy Spirit will come and renew us, give us strength and encouragement to follow your call. And we do pray this in your name. Amen. You can have a seat. <sighs> oh, Peter, Peter, Peter. God bless Peter. He's like that friend who's always the first one to speak or the first one to act. And sometimes you think, oh, good. I'm glad Peter said what everyone was thinking. And other times he says something that is just off. And then you sit there more embarrassed about it than he is. But truly, the gospel stories would be much more dull if it weren't for Peter, can I get an amen? amen? I think Peter holds in our hearts as Christians a special place because we see in him both the best and the worst of ourselves. This earnest desire to follow Jesus and yet this capacity sometimes to screw that up royally. And we have a sense of hope, right, that if Jesus was willing to work with Peter, he's probably also willing to work with me as well. So this morning, our reading comes from the Gospel of Mark, the end of the eighth chapter. You can find it on page 844 in your pew Bible. I invite you to turn there as we look at this passage. It's a crossroads moment in Jesus' training of his disciples. This is the first time that Jesus teaches them that he must go to the cross, that he must be crucified. And this is also the beginning of the most embarrassing episode for Peter. But since Peter was likely the source of the information for Mark's gospel, it seems like he really wants us to see his failure, and he really wants us to learn something from it. Peter struggles with the idea of the cross right from the beginning, and he will continue to struggle for a while, but it does ultimately end in a story of redemption. I also this week noticed something else and realized something in this passage I don't think I've ever fully taken in or appreciated before, and that's this, that the very first time that Jesus teaches his disciples about the cross, he immediately links his cross with our cross. Jesus unites us to himself and to his cruciform mission from the very, very beginning. Okay, so really simple outline for the passage today. Paragraph 1, verses 31 to 33, Jesus must follow the way of the cross. And then second paragraph, verses 34 to 38, we must follow the way of the cross in order to follow Jesus, right? So Jesus must follow the way of the cross 
and we must follow the way of the cross in order to follow Jesus. And the lesson that proved so difficult for Peter, I think remains the hardest lesson for us as Christians. We acknowledge Jesus is Lord, but will we now follow him to the cross? Will we indeed pick up our own cross? And since from the beginning Jesus links his cross to our cross, I actually want to start this morning by trying to quickly, if I can, define the concept of taking up our cross. I find it's almost easier to understand than it is to start talking about. So I I wrestled all week with trying to come up with a simple definition of what it means to take up our cross. I read a bunch of stuff. I talked to dozens of people in our church, uh, theologians, pastors, various mature men and women of the faith here at Resurrection. So I want to try to help us from the onset to make this as tangible as possible. Okay, so here's my attempt at a summary of what I think Jesus is teaching here on what it means to take up our cross. Embracing the burdens, sacrifices, and shame that come with following Jesus. Embracing the burdens, sacrifices, and shame that come with following Jesus. So, some crosses, they might be moments of choice. You're standing up for something, or for someone in the name of Jesus. You're saying no to a temptation or the, or the easy way out. You're acknowledging your faith in a hostile situation. But some crosses may not feel like they're actually a choice. Something like the long-term care of a loved one. But if you're embracing that burden and if you're embracing it out of a desire to follow Jesus, then that, too, is your cross. Your cross may involve suffering or rejection because of your allegiance to Jesus. Some Christians are even called to a cross of physical pain or even death. But your cross also includes the ongoing or seasonal sacrifices in life that come from following Jesus. Some of those might be massive and life-altering. Some might feel regular and somewhat mundane. In Matthew, Jesus calls us to pick up our cross daily. So I want to invite you this morning, right from the beginning, to hold before the Lord a particular cross that you are bearing. Maybe one that in this season you're finding to be a challenge for you to bear. And I want to start by telling you that you are actually united with Jesus in his sufferings as you bear that cross. It's amazing that Jesus honors us by linking the comparatively little crosses that we bear with the cross that he endured for the salvation of the world. It's as if Jesus is saying, My cross is the way that I have saved the world, and your cross is going to be a testimony to my saving work. And no cross is futile if Jesus has asked you to bear it. And even if, like Peter, we fail in our call to take up our cross, the Lord offers a path of redemption and restoration. 
So hold up your cross this morning before the Lord as we continue, and let's follow Peter's own journey that starts right here in this passage. As I said, we could summarize the first paragraph as, Jesus must follow the way of the cross. So if you're looking in your Bible, the verses right before this passage is where Jesus is finishing up the first part of his discipleship training course. We could call it Unit 1, the Messiah. The disciples have been slowly coming to understand Jesus' identity. And so he finally asks them, who do you say that I am? And it's Peter who aces the test. He boldly declares, you are the Christ or the Messiah. Good job, Peter, A+. Unit 1 complete. Let's move on now to Unit 2, the cross. Okay, so moment of confession. I was never particularly good at science. So I think it came as a bit of a shock to my mom after the first quarter of eighth grade when she showed up at the parent-teacher conference and lo and behold discovered I had an A in my science class. But my teacher quickly curbed my mom's enthusiasm and said, yeah, I think the only reason Steve has an A right now is that our first unit was on outer space. <laughs> and Steve really seems to think that outer space is cool. I don't think he's going to be as into the next couple of units, and they're a bit more challenging, so I'm really worried his grade's about to suffer. And she was right, and my grade sank by quite a bit. Peter did not like the second unit in Jesus' discipleship course, and his grade dropped quickly. Okay, so throughout the Gospel of Mark, there's this theme of the way. It's the way that Jesus must follow. And right at the beginning, John the Baptist is preparing the way of the Lord. And you'll see in all our Lenten readings, Jesus is making his way towards the cross. That's the mission of the Messiah, and he won't be diverted from it. And now he's making it clear to his disciples. Mark tells us here that Jesus told them plainly that he must suffer many things and be rejected and be killed. He does also mention that he's going to rise again in three days, but I don't think Peter paid much notice to that part of Jesus' teaching. Throughout Mark's gospel, as he does here, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. And that's a phrase that comes, it's a prophetic image from the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, chapter 7. Let me just read you a couple sentences from this prophecy. And behold, with the clouds of heaven there, come, there came one like a son of man, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. And Peter really seems to like this part. He thinks this part is cool. Jesus, though is also now going to connect his way, his mission, to another prophetic image from the Old Testament. It's the image of the suffering servant from Isaiah chapter 53. We hear this read every year, the Good Friday service. I'm sure you know it well. Let me just read a few sentences. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Surely he has borne our griefs 
and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. So Jesus' way was the way of the cross. He would be the suffering servant. He would be the self-sacrificing king. He would be the Lamb of God who was slain to take away the sin of the world. And Peter is not ready for that part. So Mark tells us Peter takes Jesus aside and rebukes him. And then Jesus sees all the disciples watching and in turn gives Peter perhaps the most harsh rebuke imaginable. Verse 33, he says, Get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Okay, that phrase, get behind me, Satan, it's almost the exact same phrase in the Greek as what Jesus says to Satan himself during his temptation in the wilderness. In the Gospel of Matthew, Satan shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he says to Jesus, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. To which Jesus replies, be gone, Satan. So Peter's rebuke contains the same fallacy as Satan's temptation. The fallacy that Jesus could somehow reign without following the way of the cross. And sadly for our beloved Peter, he would continue to struggle with the way of the cross for a while longer. Um, look down real quickly verse 34, you see that Jesus uses the word here, deny. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So it's interesting, in the gospel of Mark, the word deny is used six total times. Here's the first time it's used. All other five are connected to Peter's denial of Jesus on the last night. So right at the Last Supper, Jesus warns Peter that he will deny him. And Peter responds, Lord, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Peter is ready to fight. Which leads, of course, to that messy business in the garden with the pulling out of the sword and the chopping off of the high priest's servant's ear. But then Jesus tells Peter, put your sword away. Peter was ready to fight, but now he's frightened and he's ready for flight. And along with all the other disciples, Peter runs away, and he abandons Jesus. So you can actually take a test, I don't know if you know this, to figure out if your response to fear is more fight or flight. And I think it's probably good overall to kind of know, like, what are you more inclined to do in moments of fear? But Peter shows us here what I think I've already learned true of myself. If I'm in the midst of resisting the will of the Lord and fight is not working, I will gladly switch over to flight and give that a try. <laughs> or vice versa. More importantly, Peter's struggle to accept the cross teaches us that to deny, to deny the way of the cross eventually becomes a denial of Jesus himself. So the last three uses of the word deny are when we find Peter denying Jesus in the courtyard during this trial. And then he remembers Jesus' warning to him, and Mark tells us 
that Peter broke down and he wept. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to leave Peter weeping in the courtyard for a minute. But first, let me just say that I think this is one of the most tragic and yet beautiful moments in the gospel. It's tragic because Peter just utterly failed Jesus. And in one sense, there's no do-over. Jesus is only going to die on a cross once. And yet, it's also beautiful because this, this is the moment, this is the beginning of Peter's journey of repentance and restoration with Jesus. In fact, Jesus will actually use Peter's failure. Peter's failure at his Lord's cross, the Lord's going to use that as a training ground to, pre to prepare Peter for his own cross. So that leads us into the second paragraph, the second part of our passage. And we're going to do what Jesus himself did, and we're going to link now Jesus' cross to our cross. You might remember, going back to this idea of the way of the cross, you might remember that the book of Acts, uh, the first Christians were known as followers of the way. Because as Jesus teaches us here, we must follow the way of the cross in order to follow Jesus. So look at verse 34. In calling to the crowd, in calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus would sacrifice himself. He would choose to face the weight, the rejection, the shame of the cross. And now he's asking his followers whether they will follow him down the same path. Okay, let's go back to that definition I offered you at the beginning of what it means to take up our cross. Embracing the burdens, sacrifices, and shame that come with following Jesus. And I want to dig just a little deeper. I think there's a few more things we can observe quickly about our cross that we can understand from what Jesus teaches us here in the second half. So here we go. First, the call to take up our cross is inclusive. Jesus calls the whole crowd to him, not just the disciples. And then he begins, if anyone would come after me. So every follower of Jesus has a cross to bear. There is no way, try as we may, to insulate ourselves from that reality. There is an inherent cruciform nature to following Jesus in which we deny the self-made paths we have in mind for ourselves and we take up instead the self-giving path that Jesus has modeled for us and that he calls us into. So the call to take up our cross is inclusive. Second, the call to take up our cross is unique, right? Jesus says here, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Your cross is going to look different than my cross. We're not necessarily called to the same burdens or to the same sacrifices, and it's not a competition to see who can pick up the heaviest cross. None of us is called to take on all the burdens of the world. Our cross is not Jesus' cross. There is only one Lamb of God who could bear and take away the sins of the world. But he does invite you to follow his lead, to in fact bear with the sin and brokenness of the world by taking up 
your unique cross. So the call to take up our cross is inclusive, it is unique. Third, it is active. Okay, so I showed my summary definition late in the week to Father Matt, and then I got this audio message back from Father Matt that said, you know, it's interesting. Not necessarily wrong. Okay, okay. I'll stop doing it in my Matt voice. It's interesting. It's not necessarily wrong that you chose embracing instead of accepting. Matt said, embracing has a strong connotation, like wrapping your arms around something. So I'm pretty sure that my preaching sensei was just trying to move me towards full conviction. And it worked, because I do think it's a call to do more than just accept the burdens of our life. It's a call to do more than just resign ourselves to our lot in life. Jesus actually calls us to take up our cross. That involves wrapping our arms around it and picking it up. I think we're called to embrace the cross that we've been given. Okay, so why? Why do we embrace the burdens, the sacrifices, and the shame that come with following Jesus? Because we desire to be with Jesus. We desire to be with Jesus who by his cross and precious blood has redeemed us. Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. And of course, we desire to be with Jesus and we desire to follow him because we know the story doesn't end at the cross. We follow Jesus through the cross that we may gain the resurrected life that is to come. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. All right, we left poor Peter weeping in the courtyard. That moment of repentance, it began a turning point in the life of Peter. After the resurrection, it seems like Peter's one desire is just to be with Jesus. So you see him running to the tomb. You see him diving out of the boat, swimming to the shore to be the first one to get to Jesus. And then there's that beautiful moment of reconciliation on the shore where Jesus starts by asking Peter three times, do you love me? And then immediately, once again, Jesus unites his own cross to Peter's. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And then John adds, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And Peter, of course, became the leader of the early church. He helped spread the gospel all around the Roman world. And all evidence is that Peter ultimately followed Jesus to his own literal cross. So perhaps you're in a season of struggling to accept and embrace your cross. And if that is you, I invite you this Lent on the same journey of repentance and restoration as Peter. 
prayer minister, a pastor, would love to pray with you today that you would know the presence and the strength of Jesus as you take up your cross. In the Gospel of Matthew, in the 11th chapter, Jesus gives this invitation. He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus' yoke was his cross. And under his yoke, he says, amazingly, paradoxically, that's the place where we actually find rest for our souls. Because no longer are we anxiously wrestling and resisting. It's under our God-given cross that we actually find that it's Jesus who's doing the heavy lifting. And the cross we bear becomes a testimony to the broken world of the cross of Jesus Christ. So this Lent, we're focusing on prayer. So let me close with a prayer that we do pray every Friday in morning prayer in remembrance of Good Friday. And perhaps this can be your prayer before the Lord as you seek to take up your cross. Let us pray. Almighty God, whose most dear Son went not up to joy, but first he suffered pain, and entered not into glory before he was crucified, mercifully grant that we, walking in the way of the cross, may find it none other than the way of life and peace. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen.